Well, if you're like me, there might be some times in life where it feels like everything in life is just in this holding pattern. I've never actually been on an airplane that had to do that, but uh, what I've heard is that if an airplane gets close to its destination airport and there aren't any openings for it to land, let's say there's a bunch of airplanes queued up, uh, there's maybe some weather going on or something going on with one of the runways, and a plane isn't able to immediately land, the air traffic controllers will tell the pilot to go into a holding pattern, which basically means you're close enough to the airport to see it, but the pilot has to go in this big loop until an opening opens up for them to land. And I can only imagine if you're on that plane, it's one thing to know that the air traffic controllers and the pilots, they have it all figured out for you. But it's another thing to be sitting in the back, staring at your window and looking at your airport, but just going in loops, going in loops and going in loops, not knowing how long you're going to be up there. It can be frustrating, it can be slow, and it can lead to a lot of anxiety and maybe even some anger as you're watching your precious time waste away. And by the way, talk about a first world problem, right? But I'm wondering if you've ever experienced that in your life, not necessarily on a plane, but maybe in a certain area of life, or maybe even today. Does it feel like your life is in a holding pattern? Maybe before the whole COVID thing, you could say that there was a specific area of your life that was in a holding pattern. Maybe you had sent off your resumes and you had done the interviews, but you were just in a holding pattern waiting to see what would happen. Maybe it was a financial holding pattern where you're waiting to see what money would come in before you could make your next move. Different times in life mean that we go through different moments where we have to wait. And it seems like we're in this holding pattern. But what I want to acknowledge is that in this season, more people than ever have that feeling and have that tension of feeling like life is just in a big holding pattern. And what we're doing as a church is we're speaking right into that. We want to share timeless truth in a timely way. And God speaks truth into the things that we are going through today. In fact, so many times in the last four weeks, even we've seen so much of what Jesus words had to say in the series. uh, Before I go, his words spoke so much into the comfort that we needed. If I could summarize the last four weeks of what we've been talking about, it's simply these two words, be still. When the world is changing around you and when you have no control over anything, the good news is that we can still be full of joy. We can still be full of purpose. We can be full of peace. And as we saw on Easter, we can even be full of hope. And all these things point back to the fact that we can simply be still and know that God is in control. But even with the changing landscape today, it's almost like we're entering a new season of the COVID-19 crisis. For a while there, we were scrambling to figure out this new normal, and we had been hoping that this would just be a temporary interruption from the normal. But now, one month in, and with no end in sight, maybe you're starting to feel like a passenger on an airplane who's in this endless holding pattern. When will we land? When will things go back to normal? And is this temporary interruption more like a permanent disruption to the kind of life that we had been familiar with before? So whereas the first uh, four weeks or the the past four weeks were really focused on this comfort 
message and the be still and the be peaceful and the be hopeful message. What we want to do is change it up a little bit and put the fire on. Uh, Rather than just say, we want to be still, we as a church, we want to be moved. Part of it is when you sit still in the presence of God and when you receive his comfort and his peace and his joy, the result is you are filled up to the point where you are compelled to move, compelled to take that message and do something with it in your life or for someone else. I'm going to put it this way. Up till now, you've been comforted. Now it's time to be bold. Up to this point, you've been comforted these last four weeks. Maybe it's time to take the initiative and to be bold, to take a, faith, a step in faith and to see what God wants us to do. So for the next four weeks, we're going to go through the series called Be Bold. Even if you feel like your life is in, in this holding pattern and you have no control over what's going on, We want to let God's word speak truth and life into your life as you understand what it means to be bold. And basically all I want to do today is set the table for this series. I want to talk about the whole concept of what it means to be bold and also what it means to be appropriately bold and uh, what that looks like for us today. And the way we're going to do that both today and for the rest of the series is we're going to look at a person in the Bible in Jesus' day, uh, the person named Simon Peter. And Simon, as you may know, was one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus, handpicked by Jesus himself. And of all the disciples that Jesus had, if you had to point to one of them as being bold, it had to be Simon Peter. But as bold as he was, what we're going to see today is that Simon Peter, both because of external circumstances and because of a personal decision he made, he found himself in this holding pattern in life that he had no power to get out of. And one day after his resurrection, Jesus confronted Peter and asked him three questions. And these three questions broke Peter out of this endless holding pattern so that Peter could finally stick the landing. And that's what I pray might happen for you in this series. We're not going to necessarily change the circumstances of whatever it is that has us waiting. But what I pray is that as we look at what God has to say and what uh, God did through Simon Peter, it's going to give you some insight to know what God is doing in this season and how he might be able to break you from a holding pattern that's been holding you back. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look in John chapter 21. This is where the Apostle John gives us an unusual insight into something that none of the other gospel writers tell us. So with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is the only one who gives us this intimate conversation that Jesus had with Simon Peter and with the other disciples after Jesus rose from the dead. And to set the stage a little bit, Jesus had been been raised from the dead. We're not sure what the timeline was, but long story short, he goes up to Galilee and uh, Peter and the others were doing what they did before Jesus came and found him. They were fishing and Jesus calls to him from shore and he basically helps them uh, land a big catch of fish. And then uh, they realize, wait a minute, this man yelling at us from the shore is Jesus. And so they run back, or they, they don't run back, they swim back, they boat back to the shore. And it's there that Jesus has breakfast with them on the beach. They grill up some fish, they have some food, and then Jesus confronts uh, Peter. He asks him a series of three questions. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what those three questions are right away. And then I'm going to show you what impact they had for Peter. 
And then we're going to go back and see how it is that, G, that uh, Peter found himself in this holding pattern in the first place. So here are the three questions, and they're not that complicated, so we'll be able to go through these pretty quickly. First of all, Jesus said to Simon, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And in just a moment, we'll talk about what more than these means, but for now, just focus on that first part. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon Peter, you're in this holding pattern. Well, I'll tell you why in just a minute. You're in this holding pattern, Peter. Do you love me more than these? And that was the first question. Here's the second question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I'll just break it to you. We'll get to the third question right away. Verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times Jesus asks him the same question, but the answer to this question and how Simon answered it had repercussions for the rest of Simon Peter's life. In fact, as we look at what happens next, as, as a result of the answer to these questions, we see Simon Peter living an emboldened life like he had never lived before. And I just want to acknowledge what Jesus did through these questions and in the conversation that surrounded them did not change the circumstances of Simon Peter's life in one bit. Simon Peter and the other disciples still had to face a world that had crucified Jesus, their rabbi. They still had to face religious leaders who wanted to get rid of them. Jesus did not change the circumstances, but he did change something else. The same thing for you and me today. You cannot change your circumstances, but you can change the boldness with which you face them. And the best part is when God gives you an appropriate, a good kind of boldness that we can approach our circumstances with. And that's exactly what he did for Peter. And I believe that's exactly what he can do for you too. And as Peter went out from this day on, the boldness that he had was simply incredible. Whereas they had been hiding, Peter and the others, they had been hiding for fear of their lives. They had been shrinking back from public places. As you get into the book of Acts and you see what they did after this, they did some amazing things. Now we're going to get to these in the rest of this series. We're going to talk about it, but I just want to at least mention some of the bold things that Peter did. Uh, one thing he did was he confronted crowds on, on one day, 50 days after Jesus was put to death, Peter was standing in front of thousands of people, not just talking to them to appease them, but he was confronting them with their sin. Peter was confronting crowds. As a result of this, Peter was even put on trial by people, by the religious leaders. He was put on trial several times. He was arrested a couple of times, and yet he continued to share Jesus. He was so bold in what he did. And finally, he was even imprisoned. Imprisoned once and then set free. Imprisoned a second time, certain to face his death, but then miraculously released. And that's where I want to jump into Acts chapter 12 just real quickly because it's in this section that we see an important detail come up that's going to really elevate what it means that Peter was a bold man and why it was he was bold. So Acts chapter 12 is right after Peter was imprisoned. He was about to be put on trial, which would have meant his death but he was miraculously, supernaturally freed from prison. If you want to read about it, read it in Acts chapter 12. But here's what Peter did right after he got out of jail. He did this. Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. And just to clarify, Mark is the 
name for John, not for Mary. So Mary, the mother of John, John also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And there's two quick things that will make the rest of this message make a lot more sense. Number one, Mary, we're not told who her husband was or if she still had one, but because of the circumstances here, there were many people gathered in her house and it mentions her son, we have reason to believe that she was well-to-do. She was wealthy. She had some resources at her disposal. Back then, you did not have a big house unless you needed one. And it seems like Mary had a pretty big house where many people could gather and pray in a very close setting. And second of all, she had a son. What we know about John Mark is basically just his name at this point. He was the, the son of Mary and because Mary was well-to-do and wealthy, John Mark was given something that most people in that time did not receive. He was given an education. But what we know at this point is that John Mark is impressed by what happened to Peter and what is happening through Peter. Here, John Mark has this front seat uh, view of what's going on with Peter's life. And John Mark is touched by this, impressed by this in such a way that he ends up becoming this companion with Peter. So John Mark is a traveling companion that follows Peter around. And I'm fast forwarding through a lot of history. All you need to know is that John Mark was this traveling companion. Back then you did not travel alone. And so Peter would often travel with John Mark. And since John Mark had an education, he was extremely valuable. You see, Peter was just a fisherman. And to all the fishermen out there, nothing against you. But back then, just a fisherman meant that he had no need for an education, which probably meant like 90% of the people in that time, Peter had no need to be able to write, nor likely did he, was he able to read very much. Perhaps he could read a little bit, but probably not very much, at least not fluently. And so as such, to have John Mark as a travel companion was quite nice because John Mark could be an interpreter. He could uh, read things for, John, for, for Peter. And also John Mark could be a scribe uh, with uh, his family background, with his education, and maybe perhaps with the expensive writing instruments and tools needed to, to write things down, John Mark was uniquely positioned to help Peter in many, many different ways. And John Mark devoted a lot of his time to traveling with Peter and assisting him however he could. How long they were together, we don't know, but we do know how long Peter and John Mark were together. In 64 AD, Nero set fire to Rome in the infamous Great Rome Fire. And Nero quickly realized that it was in his best interest to blame Christians for this. And so along with other Christians being arrested, the apostle Peter was also arrested and was going to face trial and likely be executed. In fact, that's exactly what happened. As history and as tradition holds for us, the Apostle Peter was, went through a trial and was sentenced to be crucified, just like Jesus. Only Peter, because he did not see himself worthy of being crucified the same way Jesus was, he wanted to be crucified upside down. But maybe it was in the days leading up to his death, or maybe it was in the days immediately following his death. We're not entirely sure. But there was, that, there was a point in which John Mark realized that the apostles of Jesus were dying. They were being put to death. They were being executed. 
And along with them was their eyewitness story of what happened when Jesus walked the earth. So maybe it was that in the days leading up to the trial, John Mark sat down with, G- with uh, Peter and John Mark said, Peter, you got to tell me those stories one more time. I've, I've got my pen. I've got my paper. What, if I'm going to write a book about who Jesus was, tell me what I need to write. And it's, it's funny because when you read what John Mark wrote, it's almost like he's listening to some uneducated fishermen just tell a bunch of stories, and horrible chronology, nothing in order, but everything true everything accurate to get across the story of who Jesus was and what he was about. Now today, you and I don't know him as John Mark. We simply know him as Mark. As in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Quite often we look at Mark and just say, well, that's some crazy biography of Jesus. We hardly even reference it. It's, it's one of those uh, gospel accounts that's a little bit more difficult to read. But here's the amazing thing. Mark wrote this. John Mark wrote this because he was with the apostle Peter. So as John Mark wrote this, it's as if it's Peter's perspective on what's going on. Which my uh, encouragement for you this week, if you're looking for a book of the Bible to read, read through Mark and just remember this was Peter's view. And maybe this was Peter dictating to John Mark all these stories and all these things that happened while Jesus was here. But it's remarkable, as you look through that book, you see Mark recording these intimate details, these vulnerable little details that definitely don't make Peter the hero. Um, And many times, Peter was quite bold throughout the Gospels, but bold in the wrong way, like boldly getting things wrong. But it's really towards the end of Jesus' life that Peter made the biggest mistake. It was the night before Jesus died and Jesus was sitting down with his disciples and he was telling them how he was going to suffer and die. And one little detail troubled them. Jesus said, all of you are going to desert me soon. And as Peter is telling the story to Mark, maybe Peter says, make sure you include this. This is going to make me look like the fool, (laughs) look like the idiot, but it's true. The night before Jesus died, Peter stood up and he declared to Jesus, even if all fall away, I will not. Even if all these other disciples fall away from you, even if they all desert you, I love you more than all these guys do. I will never fall away. To which Jesus said, maybe you didn't hear me you will fall away. In fact, right now it's nighttime and by the time the sun comes up, before the rooster crows twice, you will have disowned me three times, Simon Peter. Simon Peter denied it, but sure enough, it happened. Here's what happens. We'll fast forward to the the point. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And here's where you just get this moment where Peter enters into that holding pattern. He, was broke, he broke down and he wept. He broke down because his boldness to want to be there for Jesus was not enough. He broke down because he realized that he didn't deserve to have a relationship with this rabbi. And he broke down because he was beginning to realize that the the future he wanted and the dreams he had were so far away 
and they would never become his. He was stuck in this holding pattern. And that's what happens when you have a version of boldness that points to yourself. Boldness that points inward will put you into a holding pattern. Boldness, maybe we call it self-esteem, that simply points you inward to yourself. It might get you off the ground, but it will never take you to where you want to be. It is not enough. It is not sufficient. And especially when it comes to the purpose and calling that your Father in heaven has for you. And as Peter deals with the fallout here, He's got some time to think. (laughs) Some amazing things happen as you read through the book of Mark. uh, There comes this report that a couple of the disciples, uh, not the 12, but a couple of others, actually interacted with Jesus on Sunday after he had died. And they brought back this report of some of the amazing things that uh, Jesus had taught them. But the 12, the 11, Peter and the others, they didn't believe it. They couldn't make sense of it. But what seems to have happened is that in the following days, Peter and the others began to realize, wait a minute, if he really was the son of God, if he really was the Messiah, then he did have to suffer and die. And here's another place. This is uh, one of Peter's letters that uh, he dictated, perhaps to John Mark. And in this letter, he summarizes what he and the others realized in the wake of Jesus' resurrection. It was this moment that it just hit them. He said this, thinking back to what Jesus did, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And Peter said, I tried to retaliate. I tried to make threats. I tried to swing and and chop off, you know, some ears. I tried to stand up for Jesus, but Jesus did not. He willingly went to his death because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And then Peter backs up and he said, in case you miss all the details, what this significance is, here's the truth. And he goes on. He says, he himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on that cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And it was this truth that started to settle into Peter's heart and the other disciples' hearts as they began to realize just what was the meaning of Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection. And then came the infamous day when Jesus called out to these disciples as they were fishing and said, hey guys, try to catch some fish over here. And they realize it's Jesus. They come back to shore and Jesus confronts Peter after his resurrection, after Peter's starting to put together all these details about the significance of his death and the significance of his resurrection, Jesus comes up to Peter and he says, Simon Peter, Simon son of John, let's talk. When they had finished eating fish on the beach, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? Some days ago, you told me that you would not fall away even if all these others did. Do you love me more than these? And maybe what's ironic is that John, who wrote this, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In this moment, Peter is referring to himself as the disciple who loved Jesus. And the disciple who loved Jesus had a simple answer. 
It was the only answer he could give because right now for Peter, this wasn't about how much he could do for Jesus. It wasn't about how bold Peter could be. Peter tried that and he knew it did not work. But in the wake of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection, Peter began to realize that his relationship and his love for Jesus was simply a reflection of the love that Jesus had for him to bear Peter's sins on that cross so that by his wounds, Peter would be healed. And as Jesus is asking him, Simon, do you love me? (laughs) There's only one answer. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so it's almost as if Jesus said, that's good enough. You have what you need. Go feed my lambs. Go do my work. Go love the people that I came to save. Go build them up. Go be my church. And then Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus again answered, that's good enough. Take care of my sheep. And maybe this is an echo of what had just happened on the night that Jesus was uh, on trial. But Peter was given an opportunity on that night to deny Jesus three times and perhaps Jesus is giving him a chance to affirm their relationship. But Jesus goes on a third time and the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, a very formal way, a very contractual way of talking to him. Do you love me? And at this point, Simon begins to wonder what's going on. Uh, Next verse. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus, in a way, said, then we're good. That's enough. Feed my sheep. And it's in this way that Jesus, through his love, reaffirms the relationship. And he reaches Peter as he's going through this endless holding pattern not knowing of where he stood with Jesus. And Jesus, through this remarkable conversation, says it's the love we have. That's enough. Peter, on your own, if you're focused inward, you can't do anything. But where we remain in each other, there is power. There you can do my work and there you have my purpose. And that broke him free from that endless holding pattern. And he had a great purpose, as we just saw, a great purpose for the rest of his life to the point where he even died in a way that honored God. In fact, Jesus didn't hold this back from him. As Peter was emboldened in this moment to live out his love for Jesus, Jesus told him the ultimate conclusion of what that would mean. Very truly, I tell you, Simon, Peter, son of John, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And this is really cryptic. And even in that moment, the disciples were wondering, what does this mean? And so John fills us in with this next verse. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Can you imagine In that moment, Simon Peter and the other disciples up in whatever room they were after Jesus was was put to death, afraid for their lives, hiding for their lives. But Peter was given a kind of boldness 
that would lead him to have an attitude that he was glorifying God in the way he would eventually die, even being willing to be crucified in a horrible way to honor God in his death. And this was the, the way that, that Peter left his holding pattern. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus simply said to him, all right, let's go. Would you follow me? Would you leave your little thing that you've got going on? And would you, would you stick the landing? Would you come with me? Would you be bold? Would you preach my gospel? Would you share my forgiveness? Would you let the world know that death has been defeated? Peter, we have something going here and the gates of hell cannot stop you. Be bold. Go. And in the midst of all of this, God never once changed the circumstances that Peter or the other disciples were facing. And that's where I want to leave you to. God might not change the circumstances that surround you, but he has changed you. And all it took was some good news. One day you heard the good news of what God did for you. Your boldness, your inward focused boldness has gotten you into trouble. Mine has gotten me into trouble. And that kind of boldness separates us from God. But the good news is that death has been defeated and we no longer have to fear it. The good news is that your sin has been forgiven. So as you look at the circumstances in your life, they, may not, they might not change. But as you look in the mirror, God has changed you. So as you think specifically about maybe the holding pattern that you're facing right now, or if things are relatively normal for you, just be aware that someday you will enter a holding pattern in some area of life, if not multiple areas, and you'll be faced with a confrontation. How do I deal with this and how do I handle it? My hope is that not only will you find comfort in knowing who God is, but that you will be emboldened to face it. And here's two practical applications I want you to take away from today. Number one, maybe you walk away with a different view of you. That as you think about the challenges you face, you understand that God's role, God's big purpose is not to miraculously take away your burdens, but his most miraculous thing was to transform your heart to take a dead heart and make it alive again through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And he has given you his spirit, which is not a spirit that is timid or weak, but it's a spirit of power and a spirit of self-control. That is what's in you and that is who you are. And maybe as you're going through these seasons where you don't have control and you feel like things are, are just in this holding pattern, Maybe it's the different view of you that whenever things change and you stick the landing, maybe finally you are set on fire to be who God created you to be. So maybe it's a different view of you. Or maybe when you find yourself in the holding pattern, it's simply a reminder to find a better place to land. Maybe God is keeping you here because he's got someplace better for you. And just like Simon Peter had to learn the hard way, maybe the goals that he had to glorify God did not match up with the ones that God had for him. So as we leave today, as we, as we close today, I pray that these two things would be things that give you a, a, something to think about this week or maybe even just today as you pause to reflect on the areas of life where you might find yourself in a holding pattern and how God 
might not change those circumstances, but he has changed you. I hope you can join us again next week for part two because we're going to start looking super practically at what it means to be bold even in the world as it is today. Today, let's close with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift of your apostles like Peter and for their helpers like John Mark and for the incredible eyewitness testimony that we have to this day so that we can see the bold confidence Jesus had as our Savior and the bold confidence we can have as we remember who he has created us to be. I pray that you'd give everyone in our audience today the wisdom to do what we need to do with this truth, that having been comforted through your forgiveness, we may be emboldened to live in this world. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.